Athletes, take your mark, get set. It's time for the Average Athlete Podcast. Everybody, Coach Blue Robinson here. Want to give everyone a, a shout out and a thanks for all that you're doing for Team Addict to Athlete, for downloading, sharing this podcast with anyone that may be suffering or need a little bit more assistance or guidance and direction on how to help a loved one get into recovery. Um, Addict to Athlete is a 501c3 nonprofit program, and we operate a lot on donations. So please, if you are so inclined, we have a, a, a donation page open right now for our nine-year anniversary. This team's been around for nine years. I'm kind of surprised people still hang out and want to play with us. And so Team Addict to Athlete does operate on, on a lot of donations, and we want to thank all those in past years who have graciously donated this team. Uh, because of such, we've been able to expand throughout the country, offering sober coach training and uh, really getting lots of people into the sport of running and family relationships and rebuilding that family system through our erase and replace philosophy. And so athletes, uh, as always, keep a close eye on our webpage, check out our social media content. We're putting out new videos and podcasts each week so that you can kind of get a better understanding of what this team does, how it operates, and how we help turn messes of addiction into messages of sobriety. Well, athletes, today I got a great guest online, and he made the mistake of making contact with me last week, and I was so inspired by our conversation, I dragged him into our podcast um, virtual studio here through Zoom. I want to give a, a little introduction to a great guy, one who is going to be uh, a titan in the industry with the things that he's going to accomplish. I know it. I can feel his, his, uh, his spirit of recovery just pulsing through the, the webcam here. I want to give a shout out to Chris. Uh, say hi, brother. Tell me a little bit about how things are going out there. We'll dive right into it. Um, say hi to the athletes. Hey, hello, everybody. Yeah, it's Chris. Uh, I'm in Japan, and thanks for having me on, Blue. Um, so things are going things are going well here. Yeah, the the winter's awesome. over. Spring's coming. Yeah, we're excited. So great. So you're you are in Japan for a very specific reason. If you can share a little bit about what what you're doing out there and what your career choices has been out there and kind of uh, maybe we'll start from there and rewind the tape backwards a bit. Okay, yeah, sure. So yeah, I'm active duty military. I'm, um, I'm at the end of a, a 24 year career in the Navy. So I joined the Navy in 1997. And I stuck with it. And it's been a heck of a ride, man. I'll it's been bet, a man. great ride. So this That's is my last awesome. tour of duty is in Japan, up in northern Japan. Um, and it's something that my wife has wanted. She wanted to live in Japan for a long time. So we were able hmm. to make that happen. And we're here for three years. We're about halfway through. And in the summer of 2021, I will retire from active duty and then uh, go into retirement and second career after that so yeah yeah, yeah. So there's really yeah. no rest for guys like you Chris retirement means just more education more helping and, and and more growth right that's the truth yeah so in my retirement I plan to pursue education and then uh, yeah I get to work that is awesome <laughs> well yeah and so so really you know listeners as you're listening to this too you're time traveling because Chris is actually in tomorrow so it's kind of a cool thing he'll tell us if anything crazy happens right <laughs> uh, it's gonna be good tomorrow's good tomorrow's a good day I, I like i like the sound of that well chris we we invited you onto the program for a few reasons one because you are an athlete in your own right but also because you have a deeper understanding and and concept of addiction and addiction recovery specifically because you've battled one yourself and you've gone through the process of, of healing and of understanding and becoming more self-aware and i'm curious if you wouldn't mind just tell us a little bit of your background um, about about addiction, kind of how it plagued you and how you pulled yourself out of it to get to the point where we are because uh, I'm, I'm impressed with your with your mindset and your ability to kind of see the, the simplistic, complex, addictive nature that sometimes gets people stuck in a rut. So tell us a little bit about your history and about kind of how you how you dug out of that, brother. Yeah, sure. Um, so my history is uh, with alcohol abuse disorder. And I started drinking when I was uh, very young. Um, mm -hmm. I can recall the first time I ever got drunk. I was 11 years old. And I was, yeah. I was arrested and brought home by the police at 11. And, and I, got I got violently ill. I wouldn't say I was arrested. That's a good old part. Detained, right? Yeah, they did bring me back to the house. So. And um, yeah, it was, it was terrible. And I remember, though, I woke up, you know, the following day and I was uh, probably had you know, alcohol poisoning and uh, 
remember how bad I felt, but I also remember thinking to myself, like, you know, there was something there. There was like a, a point in time where like all the stars aligned and everything was right in the universe. And I was like, I want to do that again. Yeah. You know, so I remember with, uh, with alcohol, uh, growing up, I thought that anything that was fun, that alcohol would make it even more fun and better and so on and so forth. So I continued to drink and drink and, and I, and the, my periods of drinking got closer and closer together. And then it was to the point where, I mean, I was, I was probably into full blown alcoholism by the time I left high school and I didn't have a plan. I remember folks were like taking the SATs for college and things like that. And I had no plan at all. I was just going to, you know, bounce off the bottom for a, for a while. And, uh, yeah, so I did do that. I bounced off the bottom until 1997, and I joined the military. And I'd already, by the time I joined the military, I already had two DUIs. I had already been to rehab twice, and uh, I joined the military with eight months of I would call it sobriety, where I was, <laughs> I was nice. sober, but I was just really dry. I had yeah. no recovery. I just had stopped drinking, and my my recovery plan looked like just like watching tv all the time and trying to stay away from people places and things but with at like really no healing at all no no work being done very familiar i know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about yep <laughs> so when i joined the military um i decided that my mm -hmm. life was back on track so i would celebrate that by uh going out and having a couple drinks <laughs> and makes uh, perfect sense Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I hadn't drank in eight months. You know, I would have to be different. I was, I was cured. I was healed. Um, but so it wasn't the same as I like to say. It was actually it felt worse. <laughs> so mm -hmm. not only picked up where I left off, I felt even worse than it was, and I was off to the races again. But um, the the military at that time, you know, I think it really uh, facilitated some of that. I don't want to, you know point blame or anything onto it everything happens the way it's supposed to but yeah you know as long as i could show up to work and do my job like it wasn't frowned upon you know and i was i was i was on deployments and i was i was going around the world and uh i was drinking like a fish and um things just got progressively worse and worse and worse until by the end it was just isolation drinking i, I had a house and uh in the States on the East coast. And I remember just, you know, I would get done with work and I would go back to my house and I would just drink myself into oblivion Yeah, on a daily basis. And right. then, uh, it, it, yeah, it just, yeah, I, the physical dependence, the mental dependence, the anxiety, the whole nine, like I, it was just this vicious cycle of, you know, of doing dumb things drunk and then feeling guilt and shame for it. So having to drink more to cover that up and then so on and so forth and just round and round and round and round until yeah. 2007 where uh, I got in trouble again. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yep. There we go. And uh, yeah. So in 2007 I was, um, I was sitting in jail in Maryland <laughs> and um, great opener. This, yeah. This, <laughs> this girl that I had met, um, and I traveled to Thailand with, and, um, she was, uh, I traveled to Thailand and met my, met my now wife there mm -hmm. and she was on her way to the States and we were going to get married. And I was sitting in jail in Maryland and she was actually flying into New York in like five days. Oh and I have gosh. no idea like how I'm going to pick her up. She, you know, she, she has no points of contact, anything like that. Uh -huh. And I was at the lowest low, like ever. I ever wanted to be yeah and, and I would I remember thinking like I can't wait to get out of jail like I can't wait to get released from here because I'm going to kill myself when I get out. yeah that was yeah. my plan Makes like sense. I couldn't take anymore I can see it yeah so uh I got out of jail I'd end up getting there um I thought my career was over I figured I was going to jail I'd been in the military 10 years at that point all the hard work I'd put in everything I had done was going down the drain Mm. And I was just, I was, I was finished. Um, and I remember making the commitment of, you know, that no matter what happened, no matter how things turned out, which at the time I thought things were going to turn out really, really bad. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just not going to pick up a drink no matter what. Right. And I, and I went to, uh, into the 12 steps, the rooms of 12 steps. And I, and I hung out there for a while and, um, yeah, so, um, I got back into the things that I enjoyed prior to uh, throwing it all away for alcohol. You know, mm. I got back, I, like, I, cause I didn't know who I was when I got back, you know, when I got, that's usually the case, right? Yeah. yeah no, no one knows idea. who they are. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I had no idea what I enjoyed. I had no idea who I was. I didn't know what how to act. It was like, uh, you know, I was like Ricky Bobby, right? I didn't know what to yeah. do with my dance, you know? Exactly. hundred <laughs> uh, <laughs> percent. So I got back into things I enjoyed prior to uh, throwing it away for alcohol. And one of the things was uh, motorcycling. So I got big and back into motorcycling. Mm-hmm. And um, I got back into getting into the outdoors and hiking and stuff like that. And I, and I stayed in the rooms of, uh, of 12 steps and I worked that program. And then, um, in to bring in running into it and, um, about eight years into my recovery, um, I got into long distance running and that, and that came from a, um, and that was a, a coping, thing and, and really for a survival thing because I was in the Navy still obviously I'm, and I'm out on a deployment on an island off the coast of California and yeah. it sounds great like people think like hey I would like to be just go to an island someday get away from everything and go to a deserted island right. and it sounds wonderful until you're actually there and you're doing that you know yeah, I bet <laughs> so, absolutely <laughs> so, so I was on this little island um, and there wasn't much to do other than drink and fish. Right. And uh, <laughs> there wasn't much entertainment there. So oh, man. I remember uh, I, I, I Googled like proper running form or something on, on, on YouTube. And it came up with um, some different videos. And one of the videos was this movie uh, called uh, Western Time by Billy Yang. And it was about the Western States 100. Seen that movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And I was like, whoa, what is this? You know, What's that? Like, oh, yeah. right. People so do I, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people do that in one day. Yeah. They really do that. So I was like, whoa, like that's, 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 that looks cool. And I remember seeing the, the struggle and the, 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 the triumph and pushing through the, the dark moments and the, the pain cave that the, um, the, the runners were going through in that movie. And I yeah. thought, like, I want that. Like, I want that experience. Give me the pain cave. Yeah, that's, <laughs> right. it's not very, it's not normal, Chris. Yeah, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah, it may not have been normal when I, I started it. off. I'm, I'm trying to get to normalcy now, but we could talk a little bit about that more later. So, yes, absolutely. <laughs> but I, I ended up ordering a pair of running shoes. I ordered some nutrition. I ordered a water bottle. And then I decided that I'm going to take this time on this island and I'm going to train for a marathon. Perfect. So I begin to run and I, and I, I download a, a free training plan online and, I, and I'm, and I'm loving it. I'm loving, I'm liking the discipline. I'm liking building up the mileage. I'm liking everything that goes into it, the, the ritual of it all. And it's yeah. keeping me out of trouble and I'm getting the feel good stuff out of it, you know, and it's, and it's allowing me to, to, to burn off all the cortisol from the, to the stress of being on deployment with the, with the work we were doing out there. And, uh, yeah, so it was really good, and I trained my butt off, and then I, I took leave, and I and I went up to it and ran a marathon above the uh, Golden Gate Bridge called, uh, I want to say it's the Golden Gate Marathon. That's it's a, awesome. It was a trail run. Yeah, it was a trail Oh, run. beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So 26.2 miles in the Marin Headlands, and I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> oh, man. You go rude <laughs> awakening, huh? Oh, yeah. Love yeah love around it. mile 14, I started to cramp up. And I, it just like, by the time I got to the end, I crossed the finish line, like tin man, like it seemed like every major muscle group in my body was cramped up and I yep. was in a world of hurt. And I remember thinking like, well, this is what you wanted. Like that's you the pain the, cave. You wanted, the you pain wanted cave. it. There it is. Like, you got I it. Buddy. Love it. That's the coolest. <laughs> yeah. I so, love it. Yeah. And, uh, it was a small race. I got like fourth in my, in my age group and I ended up going back the, the following year and, the, and then taking second. And I had plans of going back again until I would win the thing, but yeah, <laughs> I, I hadn't, I ended up moving away, but that's so that was my introduction to, to long distance running. Yeah. That's cool. I love the fact that you described it as like the, the discipline. You love the discipline of, of running. Um, I think a lot of new athletes don't understand that it does take a certain amount of discipline. And sometimes we hear that word and it freaks us out, right? Like discipline. Um, obviously in the military, you learn that very quick. Um, mm-hmm. But describe for me a little bit more about like, like your understanding and your approach to, to discipline, discipline in the sport, discipline in life. I mean, I'm glad you used that word because again, it, it gets a bad rap, doesn't it? Yeah. No. So yeah, I, I say discipline over motivation mm. because uh, motivation seems to be like this fleeting thing. 
where mm-hmm. I'm waiting for like the motivation fairy to come down and sprinkle me with some feel good, like go do it dust. Exactly. <laughs> Send it my way. If you ever catch that thing. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> Rather than like, I would be like, nope. the spreadsheet says we're running eight miles this morning. <laughs> we're running eight miles. That's it doesn't awesome. really matter what the, what the, you know, what the weather may be or what have you, or, or, you know, at the time it was like, even how I was feeling, I was going to do it. Because mm-hmm. the first the first couple of years of getting into long distance running involves a lot of pain and discomfort. You know, right. the body's just not used to it. You know, yeah. the, the muscles will will adapt rather quickly, but the tendons and the joints and all that stuff, like I was in I was in pain all the time. <laughs> so and funny. I thought it was just like this is just part of it, you know, this is part mm-hmm. of the game. I what I was not listening to my body at all with it. But and yeah, so the just the discipline of doing things and, and for mm-hmm. me being on this schedule of like you know of this is what i do this is this is my new normal you know mm-hmm. um, when i first yeah. got into this stuff it was like change is so hard because uh when i first got into uh, you know recovery and sobriety it was like i was as i would say i was unconsciously incompetent i didn't know mm-hmm. what i didn't know <laughs> you know exactly and, yeah and then once i became consciously incompetent i discovered Oh my God, I don't know how to live sober. I don't know how to live in recovery. That's mm-hmm. the scary part. That's the part where you go, hold on. Even though it was bad back there, I'm going back the other way. You know, I'm going to fall back into my old ways. Yes. So it's like, so just like with the first years of running, I mean, the analogy is like, that's some painful stuff. And I had to push through that to make it to the point where I became consciously competent, where now I feel like I, I kind of know more like what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And then it's, that is to the part when I would say that I am unconsciously competent, where it's like, I'm not even thinking about it anymore. This is just the new normal. And this is the new me. And this is the new do. normal. Yeah. We've heard that a lot lately, the new normal because of this COVID stuff. And I, and I love that because that is the approach. I think that a pathway to, to real like healing from, from addiction occurs. It's, it's that pathway. And, and, and I, again, I love the fact that the, der, the derivative of, uh, you know, discipline, it's a, it's a, the root word, you know, disciple, discipline, disciple, which is teaching and student following. Um, you've, you've copied that into other areas of life, though, not just within ultra running. Let me get rid of that. Not just within ultra running, but also in like, you know, areas of, of life in general. So how, I don't know. How did that, how did that work? How did you move from, you know, that, that stage of, of like, you know, uh, everything happens to me because of me versus, you know, this now this new understanding of like, oh no, things are happening, you know, because it's my choice. I'm choosing these things. It just happened to me on a circumstance. Like, tell me a little yeah. bit about, about that movement as I get us back on video here. Yeah. So that, that takes, I mean, that took work and it, for me, um, takes a lot of reflection and um yeah it just takes a lot of reflection uh, for me it's a lot of thinking about stuff and and doing inventories and inquiries and talking to fellow you know recovering folks and yeah to get that mindset to change rather than this you know i had a pretty mm-hmm. negative mindset prior to recovery and even like within the the first couple of years of recovery where I was, wasn't too sure it was going to last or was going to work out, you know? And then it's like, it takes just looking back in the past, how things ha- fell into place the way they're supposed to. And again, back to the, the discipline of, you know, having a practice for me and what that looks like today is, you know, I have a, a dedicated daily meditation practice. Um, I, I apply a lot of Buddhist principles into my life as far as for the four noble truths and the eightfold path. I love it. And uh, yeah, and just staying engaged to like really staying engaged with the community and trying to, um, you know, take what was freely given to me and give it back as much as possible. I know? love that, man. I love that. If you yeah. wouldn't mind, share a little bit about that too, because the, the beautiful thing I've noticed about um, th- that journey uh, with, with Buddhism and just kind of this mindset I think it goes, I think it goes in, I mean, it goes in harmony, unison with someone who's trying to discover themselves in, in active recovery and that healing process. Um, what got you kind of into that mindset of like, oh, okay, there is this and it's a lot mm-hmm. more, 
I mean, it's a lot more emotionally complex, but yet simplistic at the same time. That's why I love the principles that it teaches. So tell me a little bit about your journey um, and your awakening in, into the Buddhist philosophy. And then, you know, maybe at the end, we'll, we'll sprinkle a little bit of your, of your Dharma recovery groups and stuff mm-hmm. in there. Because I want, these, I want the athletes to learn that there's more than one path to sobriety. There's more than one way. You know, the 12 mm-hmm. steps, act to athlete, mm-hmm. smart recovery, all these other ones. But like, give me a little bit of background on, on your awakening there. Yeah. So, um, as I said, I, I, you know, I came from 12 step world and I, and I really credit the 12 steps for saving my life. Mm-hmm. And, um, but somewhere along the lines, it stopped resonating with me as much. And I started to look for other, other ways. And I remember part of my awakening was I was a, a drug and alcohol program advisor in the Navy. Mm-hmm. And I remember I would, uh, monitor like, um, aftercare plans and, and sit down with folks that were coming out of treatment. And, um, you know, I'd have folks sit across the desk from me and be like, Hey, I, I just can't do 12 steps. I can't do it. And at the time I was like, well, that's all there is. I don't even, I don't know if there's anything else out there. And right. then, then someone yep. came out of uh, came out of treatment on their aftercare plan and said, attend smart recovery meetings. I was like, smart recovery. What's that? So it started, mm-hmm. that was like my first thing. So I started getting into smart recovery and then being the overachiever I am I go to my first face-to-face smart recovery meeting and I leave with a facilitator's guide and they're like hey so you're you know (laughs) there you go (laughs) there you go go forth and start another (laughs) start a meeting somewhere so I was like oh my so I did I had one and yeah and I I got qualified uh, through uh, their online training program and then from there you know I I got interested of like what else is there out there like Mm -hmm. I, I, I felt it a duty of mine to figure out how many different paths are out there and what can I help recommend to folks? And I'm the type of dude too, is like, I'm not going to recommend something wholeheartedly unless I give it a shot. So then Absolutely. I, found, I found refuge recovery and uh, mm-hmm. that was, so I was, but at the time I was in Southern California. So that was pretty popular. And I, and I started to uh, attend their meetings and I really enjoyed it. And, and the biggest part of it was, you know, that they, I mean, they stay right there in their format that, you know, there's, there's multiple paths to recovery and mm-hmm. you know, this, this is not the only way. And many take refuge recovery and combine it with other programs or just do it on its own or what have you. So I was doing 12 step and refuge at the same time and uh, really uh, getting my meditation practice in line, which is, it was just, I mean, it was a game changer for me. I could, I could, you know, feel my, my, my thinking start to change and feel yeah. you know, my ability to handle stress change and, and, and uh, just positive thinking coming up and, 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 and loving kindness for, for others coming up and, and all this, all this good stuff. Um, and then uh, at some point I, I made the decision of like, where I kind of felt like I was not given a, a full throttle to either program. So I said, I'm just going to pick one and go with it. So I decided I'm just going to pick a Buddhist uh, path to recovery and, and, and ride on that for a while. So, yes, yeah. So I did that with refuge recovery. And then there was a, um, a split that happened between uh, refuge recovery and a grassroots peer led organization it came from that uh, mm-hmm. called recovery Dharma. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, they have a very robust online platform and being in Japan and, having no face-to-face meetings other than the one I started here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> yeah. It has a, uh, a dedicated following of one and that's this guy right here. He goes every week. <laughs> Dig it. Love <laughs> it, man. Yeah. Sometimes I stare at the wall and just meditate for 15 minutes and go home. And sometimes people show up. It's all, it's all good. You never know what it's you're getting. The, it's the best. <laughs> I love it. That's how we started. Same thing. Staring at walls versus now we got packed rooms. So I get you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been good. Um, and, 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 you know, again, it's like my my wife's Buddhist, she's from Thailand. So she was born into Buddhism. Like it's all coming into line again. So, you know, when I go to Thailand, like, it's just like, it's a great adventure through all the temples and really getting deeper into the practice and the Dharma. And I love it. I, I love it. You know, it's a, it's a, one of the things I like most about it is it's, it's a program of empowerment. It's like, right. it, it doesn't ask me to believe in anything other than my own potential for awakening. 
So that's, a, that's a brilliant. And, and you apply that to the concept of addiction when there's so many viewpoints and so many theories and out there when it's like, I think we overcomplicate this stuff more so than we need to. And, and, and I'm the same way when, when, when we started addict to athlete, it was on the same premise of there's gotta be more out there. And, uh, you know, and I was privy to a lot of, a lot of those programs and whatnot. And we got some flack from some of the traditional meetings and stuff before they realized what we were doing and who we were a little bit of turf guarding started to kind of come up. Um, but I really love the concept of like, you know, teaching the athletes that um, they're stronger than they think they are and they have the potential. And a lot of these folks don't realize that, you know, they come into our rooms and the first thing they say is, well, I'm not an athlete, but I love the message. And it's like, well, well who's told you you're not an athlete, you know? And it's the funniest thing because those same principles align. And I love the fact that when you looked at uh, the situation and you found that there wasn't something there that you helped create, you know, an offshoot, an arm of it. I mean, that's the creator, I think, inside of us all. And that willingness to want to give something back. Tell me a little bit about some of the key points of the recovery dharma. What, what are some of the, the, the foundational kind of like mindsets or concepts that uh, kind of awaken of someone who's coming into that program or, or into that mindset of like, where do they, how do they begin? Where do they start? Like, where's, where's that starting line in that path? That's a, that's a really uh, great question because that, that comes up a lot of like, hey, how does the new person come in here and where do they start? Because it's not laid out like a linear path. It's not like you come in and it's like, here's step one, get a sponsor and start working on that. I like um, that. So like like you, that. you come in and it's like, Hey, I mean, for me, I embrace the, 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 the four noble truths, which is that, you know, a accept the fact that there is suffering, you know, there's, yeah. there's suffering and, it, and it's really inescapable. There's always going to be suffering there. Um, and then, the, the second noble truth of like, it's, it's my uh, attachment to pleasure and my aversion to pain. And any time that I'm not able to accept what is happening, that that leads to more suffering. Like when yeah. I analyze how I, how I think it's like, you know, it, there's a lot of needless suffering going on in my head when I'm trying to, when I'm unable to accept the, the current situations that I can't change, you know, I if I can it. change it, you know, change it, make a little mm -hmm. adjustment and, and drive on. And then the, the third noble truth says there, there's a path. And then the fourth is basically follow that path. And the path is the, the, the eightfold path. Um, mm -hmm. And that's not a linear path, though. It's, again, it's not like I have to start off with wise understanding. And by the time I get to the end, I can then practice wise concentration. It's actually, um, you know, you can start with wise concentration, which is uh, doing the meditation and building yeah. concentration in your meditation practice and starting small and um, yeah, so it's, it's, it, it goes back to the, 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 the three jewels of, of, of Buddhism, which is the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. So the Buddha, a lot of people say, oh, Buddha, that's a, that's, a, that's a dude, like that's a figure, that's a god or something. And it's like, well, no, Buddha is actually the potential for your own awakening. Right. So yeah. The, I mean, I say yeah. the Buddha was in recovery. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you know, look at it. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, he, he sat in that nice plush temple and he had every, you know, too much of everything and it still wasn't enough. It wasn't you know? enough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so true. I love that. I've never thought of it that way, but you're right. <laughs> yeah. And, and then he leaves and, and he becomes, you know, eventually becomes an aesthetic, you know, where it's like, then nothing, nothing will be, will relieve me from suffering. If I just torture my body to the point that that will relieve me from suffering. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, that's not going to do it either. So yeah. there's, there's a, this middle way, which, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> as an ultra athlete, you know, I'm, I'm trying to embrace today. Cause like, who am I to talk about the middle way when uh, I'm going to go run a hundred mile race or something? You know? Yeah, but, You're, you're <laughs> in the middle of, you're in the middle of that. Absolutely. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I love yeah. that. I, so why do you think so many people have a hard time? Um, I, I guess kind of navigating, um, some of those circumstances, like you said, the pain and the anguish and, and the suffering. Why do you think in your, in your own kind of just, you know, experiences, why do people in addiction try to avoid suffering so much? I mean, do they, you know, cause I, I've kind of taught the principles, you know, do your best to enjoy the suffering. And mm. that, that to most people is such a foreign concept that they're just mm. like, you're, you're, you're nut ball. But, well, you know, why do you think so many people in addictions, they, they struggle with, with the suffering part? I think just the human condition is, you know, teaches me that, that pleasure equals happiness. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
and it's been my experience that when I avoid any type of suffering and I'm just constantly trying to pump in pleasure, 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 that in the end I suffer immensely. So it's like the opposite tends to be true where, you know, you look at, I mean, you look at just going for a hard workout. What are you doing? You know, you're, you're embracing some of that suffering, suffering. some of that pain, Mm -hmm. right? Some of that lactic acid and some of the, the micro tears in your muscle. And then in the end, like that's better off for you. Yeah. So, you know, it, and I don't, I don't want to like be this masochist of like, go out and like just suffer. Yeah. <laughs> you know? go, go deep in the pain cave. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh-huh. Just run, run on broken legs, you know, mm-hmm. no, like yeah. <laughs> there's gotta be that like, again, it goes back to that, that middle way of like, you know, to, 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 to be able to differentiate between like real pain of injury, like that might be a time to stop and uh, maybe, maybe pull off to the side and, and regroup rather than just mm-hmm. discomfort, you know, because yeah. if, if I just avoid discomfort at all costs, then in the end I'll suffer immensely is, is, is my thing. So, so interesting. Yeah, it's so interesting to me too the, the way that that most people in recovery choose their suffering and, and and that's the funny thing too is they don't realize how much choice they have in a lot of this you know I think the biggest I think the biggest lie we, we buy into is the fact that we have no choice and that we are just pre, pre you know pre-planned destined to become the victim rather than the agent of, of sobriety and I think that sometimes when we get that mindset we we forget that our best thinking got us into these positions and that's exactly the, the pain and the suffering that we've brought onto ourselves. So if we got ourselves into it, we can get ourselves out of it, which I think is a beautiful analogy when you're out running and stuff and how you cope with that. Because, you know, like you said, you know, you don't want to be running on broken legs, but what happens if you have a broken leg and you have something that you really wanted and you really, you know, did your best to try and obtain, but it wasn't in your cards, you know, that you had that, that experience, you had that very experience. Yeah. Would you mind sharing with, with us what you uh, learned? From that? Yeah, I'll share about that. So it's actually, it's still hanging up right here. That's my, <laughs> that's my bib. If you can see it, that's my bib from that race. That's the yeah. 110 kilometer Shinetsu five mountains that I was training for oh, last yeah. year. And, um, I was training for that and I was gonna, um, that was going to be my longest race. So I'm still trying to be smart and build up to a hundred milers. So I was going to do this 110 kilometers first. And then the following year being this year, I was going to do the hundred miler. But, um, on August 9th, I can tell you the exact day. Um, I had an injury up in the mountains here, um, training hmm. and it, uh, it was, it was really bad. Uh, I had a, a disc, my L4, L5 had, had really blown out and, uh, was, was on my sciatic nerve and it, caused you know floppy foot and all that i had a really hard time Mm. coming down off the mountains and that's um so yeah that was a a heartbreak and at first i didn't want to accept it i was like well i'll probably be down and out for a couple weeks but i'm gonna be back you know shake this off right yeah i'll just shake this off and just stretch it out a little (laughs) man and then um yeah so i continued to try to to train and then it became obvious that there was that just was not going to happen and i and and i was you know i i I know myself i was like i shouldn't go to that starting line because Mm -hmm. if i do even with this injury which was a substantial injury i mean i have a nine i had a nine millimeter bulging disc oh it just it (laughs) hurts to even think of that man yeah yeah and it was just shooting pain down my left leg and it was mm. it was really really bad and i thought like if i go to that starting line and the gun goes off and and i start like i i know i'm, I'm like i know i'm gonna kill myself to finish so i'm like i'm not even gonna line up yeah but it was it was something because i tell you it was like it really brought up um the fact that i was leaning i was just leaning too hard on, mm-hmm. on, on running. I was leaning too hard on physicality and athletics. I was putting too much of my self-worth and my validation into that stuff. Like, mm-hmm. so when it was taken away, I was like, Oh my goodness. Like I, you know, it, I just, I didn't know what I was going to do with myself. I couldn't imagine life with, you know, without it at that. So I was like, I, you know, so <laughs> knowing that, <laughs> that, uh, trauma and, and, um, you know, unresolved trauma can uh, manifest in the body as injuries. I was like, I'm going to get myself into not just physical therapy, but mental therapy as well. Amazing. So I saw counseling and it's pretty funny counseling Mm -hmm. session where, you know, the first one I'm like, Hey, you know, I've got, I 
I've had a lot of stuff go on in my life and I want to talk about it and I want to work through it, but I'm really just here so that I can get healthy to do this race. I got this race coming up. <laughs> oh my gosh. The therapist is like, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The therapist is like, mm-hmm. And it sounds like exercise is pretty important to you. And you know, he starts mm-hmm. treating me like I'm, I may be uh, an exercise addict. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. And, I don't know. There, you know, there may be some validity there because I was not listening to my body. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. I was, I was, uh, I was pushing through pain. I was running on, you know, soreness all the time. I was, my back was going out every now and again, and I was just like letting it rest for a couple of days and get right back at it. I had this this crazy theory that that running was actually helping my herniated disc, and <laughs> yeah, it was just so. As I say, like when, when I don't listen to my body and it's shouting to me and I'm shouting back that it, you know, at one point it even just stopped talking to me. Like I was, uh, I was, I was shaving one morning and something went pop and my leg shut off for a second. I had to catch Ugh. myself on the sink and I was like, Oh my goodness. Like <laughs> as oh much my as gosh. my body's yelling at me, I'm like, I still want it to yell rather than stop talking to me. <laughs> Good grief, man. Yeah. Listen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like, listen, exactly. So uh, now I'm trying to be smarter. I'm trying to listen to my body again, and I've, I've, uh, here we are. That happened in August. So I mean, we're we're quite a ways away from that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't do the race, but I did go out there and uh, I helped my buddy uh, Corey. He mm-hmm. did the 110 kilometer, and um, I I met him at all the aid stations, and I crewed him as, and everything. And man. He, it was awesome. Yeah. I, I, when, I, when I was out there, I thought to myself, you know, I said, you know what, even if I never run another race again in my life, I will go to these ultra marathons and I would love to just sit at the finish line. Brilliant. I'm talking about an emotional mm. moments there. I mean, and, and it's in Japan, so I don't even speak the language. I don't even know what's being said, but I can tell by the tears in people's eyes and the smiles on their faces. Like this is a, these are major moments in these folks' life that I am able yeah. to witness. Yeah, those peak experiences. Awesome. You, absolutely. I mean, you give me chills talking about that because that's how it feels when we start coaching new athletes and these people that come in that once said, I'm not an athlete, and they come and they finish their first run. When they start getting to that point where they're really pushing themselves, and you know they're leaving everything on the trail behind them. Mm-hmm. When they finish, it's a spiritual awakening for a lot of these folks. And I think that right. that's it's a big deal. That's why I was most impressed with with your story, Chris. And I'll be honest with you, because we, we kind of met last year through the we are Superman addict to athlete, um, uh, David Clark, you know, uh, experience that yeah, we all put together. Yeah, there you go. Absolutely. And, and that was, yeah, there it is. <laughs> and that was kind of how we got introduced to you specifically about you preparing for this, for this race. And, mm-hmm. and it was, it was wild because as we were watching the buildup and then it was also in the, I don't know, it's just like, it's not happening. But then to see you going out there and supporting your friends and to be there and to hear the gun go off and everyone run and just to have you be there, but then to hit the aid stations and to see the accomplishments and, and from literally the athlete becoming the, the, the coach, you know, it, it's, it's a big deal. And like you said, being able to experience that. So that's why Christmas is still great for, for us as adults is because we get to watch it through the eyes of our kids now. And it's one of those things where it's like you haven't really lived until you've had to be sidelined like that and you get to share someone else's experience because, man, it's a humbling thing. And the concept of you saying to yourself, even if I never get to do this again, this is where it's at. It's that mindset of like that injury happened for a very specific reason. And who knows, maybe you would have had some terrible experience out there on the trail. You weren't supposed to be there. Mm -hmm. And my gosh, the stuff you can learn from that, but your courage and confidence to go there and to see what you were wanting to do just kind of slip away with time, I think is, is, it's a cool sacrifice, brother. And And I get a lot of, I don't know, I have a lot of respect for that. One of the main things I've learned with the addict to athlete is, is that very concept of, of like, look at what you're going to miss out on if you do push it versus look at where you need to be. We had an athlete once when we started our basketball team and he, he was using and we caught him and he's like, I'm like, sorry, man, you're not playing the game tonight. We really needed you. You're one of our best players. And he's like, well, you know, I'll just, you know, show up next week for practice. I'm like, Oh no, you're coming to ride the pine. You're going to be sitting on the bench watching these guys, you know, and he did, he came and he sat there and it was so hard for him to watch Mm. these players play and lose miserably knowing they needed him out on the court. And afterward, when we huddled up and I'm like, what did you learn? He's like, 
my addiction hurts a lot more than just me. It's like, that was the hardest thing I ever had to do was to watch these guys. And it was kind of one of those things that was, was like, you know, in the moment, like, yeah, what a great teaching moment. But the more and more you, you, you think about that, you know, you start realizing the magnitude because it did, it woke him up to the fact that it's not just a, individual thing it's like you would have went out there and run you might not be able to walk right now you know i mean there's so many so many things this, but you have the courage to go and, and to be part of that it's it's a big deal to me I, I think that's i think that's a cool thing and i'm sure you learned all kinds of lessons just in the last year or so yeah oh yeah yeah it's been so yeah i had to come to a point where i had to accept in my mind of like i may never run again you know mm-hmm. that this might be over so what who am i without running Am I still, am I still good enough? Am I still able, what am I going to do without it? You know? And then I thought, well, I'm just going to have to focus my energy somewhere else because I may never run again. Can um, you, can you answer that right now? Can you, have you got to the point where you can start answering that question? Yeah. Um, you said you wanted to be vulnerable. So there you go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Your fault. You asked for the pain cave, you get it. Yeah. So I, I think, I mean, I have to be okay with it because it, it may be a reality. Um, as much as I'm like, I'm trying to get back into it and I'm doing a little bit here and there and I'm at about, I think I'm in nine weeks post-surgery. I'm still like, may have to accept the fact that I'll never run again. And um, that's going to have to be okay. So I just have to say, well, I mean, I, there's phases in my life, you know, it's just like, this may be the end of that. And what's, what's next, you know? And like, you know, they, I think, uh, there's a lot of great bicyclists out there that used to run a lot. So maybe that's where it's at. <laughs> something Very true. Or maybe uh, something zero impact like swimming. So I'm like, maybe I'll, I don't know, I'll swim around Japan or something. Dude, yeah, but, uh, that's funny. I'm building up my bike right now. So I know exactly what you're talking about. But that's yeah, the I just thing. Got one. I love the fact that you're in that mindset too, because, you know, that's the thing. Who am I without the addiction? Who am mm-hmm. I without this, this negative family system? Who am I without fill in the blank? That's a question I think we all have to ask. In fact, that was the very num- that was the number one question the therapist asked me when I went in there and tried to con my way through counseling because my girlfriend, now future wife and now wife, wanted mm-hmm. me to go to therapy because like you're broken, man, go get this fixed. And he asked me, he said, "Blue, you have no idea who you are." And I thought, rhetorical question. How stupid is that? You can't answer that right. question. Nobody can until I figured out that you could. And it blew me away when I was talking to, to Marissa uh, about this. And we, we shared that moment where she knew who she was. She had values, morals, and belief systems. And she had unique things that made her, made her uniquely her. And, and it was kind of scary not being able to answer that. But that's why we created Addict to Athlete. It's moving from addict to athlete, to father, to son, to scholar, to therapist, to coach. I mean, mm-hmm. you build on that kind of stuff. And that's why we don't focus on one attribute. Hello, I'm blue. I'm an addict. We just don't do that because it's only one part to a much greater whole. And so I'm mm-hmm. glad that you can, you can kind of see the picture of like, mm-hmm. yeah, I may not be, you know, a runner, but I, I, I am a runner, but I'm now a <laughs> cyclist and I'm a swimmer and I'm, you know, there's so many other things. I, I, I dig right. that. I'm glad that you see it that way. Yeah. And I think everything that I get into it, you know, it becomes, so for every mile I ran, it became a little less of the alcoholic and a little more of the athlete, you know, and then it, and then it's also like, no matter what I'm into, it's important for me to remember that, you know, I'm enough. That's what I am. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm enough. So I don't have to go out and do all this stuff for, you know, for validation. Um, I do it. I need to get back and I doing it because I enjoy it. And, and I'm, and I'm, you know, some of it is, you know, there's some symbolism in it though. I do want to show people, you know, and really probably just show myself too, is that I'm what I'm capable of. Um, Mm. So, you know, capable of like so much more than what, you know, I've given myself credit for So as hard as I push, it's like, sometimes I I still to this day feel like I'm holding back, like there's Mm -hmm. something holding me back. Mm. So, and that's, that's the coolest thing about, I mean, I remember like when at the end of my first, marathon like i was like i did it like i did that and now that i've done that i'm like what else can i do you know yes. what what else can i do and and then i just i've been exploring that for a while now so it's even like and now it's you know with my education i was like oh i'm not the college type well guess what i'm in college <laughs> now and i'm crushing it yeah like <laughs> yeah, it turns out i am the college type i had no idea <laughs> see so, yeah. and uh yeah so it's just yeah, it's just, it just builds upon everything builds upon itself. Like you were saying, you know, 
And, yeah. I, and, I, and I'm totally in the mindset too, if everything's happening for a reason, the way it's supposed to. So. I dig that. And I, and I think, you know, kind of what you're alluding to too, is that fear that holds us back from experiencing. Mm. It's why people have a hard time coming to Addict to Athlete is because they, they have a fear that they're going to have to be the, the Olympic runner. And it's like, no, you know, you don't even have to be an athlete yet. You know, you don't realize mm. that we are, we are living, breathing creatures that need movement. Um, that we need to be, we need to be moving forward at all times. And I'm a firm believer that our sole purpose in this life is to create. And and when we stop creating, whether that's creating love and energy and time and money and and compassion and service, when we stop creating, we slip into that depression. And that's when we start to be a consumer instead of a producer. Right. And you know, I see so many people that get that they're just afraid of like mm -hmm. the what if, what if. What if I go and I, I can't run a, a seven minute mile? It's like, well, then you could probably do a 12 minute mile or a 15 minute mm -hmm. mile or a 20 minute mile. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I ask this question all the time with my, the new guys that come in. So if I asked you right now, let's go run a marathon. Could, could you do it? And they always say, well, no, not really. And I'm like, okay, well, what if there was $10,000 and it's just yours? And all you have to do is cross that finish line. Would you do it? Like, yeah, maybe. I'm like, would it take you longer than me to probably do a marathon? Yeah. Or maybe, you know, you'd probably beat me. I don't know. But like, it doesn't matter how long it takes you to get there. If you were to do it right now, there'd be 10 grand sitting there for you. They're like, well, yeah, I could do that. Well, yeah, because you're motivated by that money, right? Mm -hmm. So what motivates you to like want to change? What motivates you to want to like do this kind of stuff? And mm -hmm. they're properly motivated. And you know, I'm sure you're on the side of, of, of this concept. Everyone's motivated by something. You find out what that is. There's no stopping you. And so your motivation right. to stop using, your motivation to, to run, your motivation to not injure. Mm -hmm. I love that pursuit of like being able to kind of find what you got to grab onto and then just, just taking advantage of it. You know, I mean, right. you did that with running. I love that. Yeah. I think uh, when you talked about the fear I, I, and, and I relate that to like the, the stuck points of like not wanting to let go. So even though you're like, Hey, you, you could, you know, you could be in recovery, you could do this. And it's like, well, I don't know what, what that looks like. I don't know the other side of that. So it's mm -hmm. like, I, it's not like, Oh, I didn't want to try because I'm afraid I'm going to fail. I think in the beginning it was like, I'm not sure if I want to try because it might, I might succeed. And I don't know yeah. what that looks like. So as miserable mm -hmm. as stuff is like when you're in active addiction, it's like, that's why I would fall back into it because it's so familiar. Yeah. So, and that's, that's, I mean, and that's the way it is today too. It's like, i still feel like, even though I'm doing a lot and I'm putting out a lot of stuff, I'm like, there's still times where I feel like I, I'm, I'm holding back some. So that's true. Yeah. We'll have to get through that. You know what? I, I love that. I love that principle too, because I start watching some of these athletes and I've learned never to doubt them because they don't realize how easy it is to simply flip the script. Right. I mean, one side of the coin, they can, I can say, go out and make your life as miserable as possible. And they run out there and they can do it in like five minutes. Right. But if I say, hey, go out and take that same five minutes and make your life as amazing as possible, they're like, well, what do you mean? I don't understand. I, I don't, it, it doesn't work that way. It's like, mm -hmm. well, no, it does. You're just not seeing the other side. And think about that motivation. You know, mm -hmm. if you, all you have to do is simply flip the script and there's nothing you couldn't do. It yeah. kind of blows their mind when they realize that like, you know, people who I, I believe people that are, are in active recovery that begin to heal from this and the things they've learned they they could become the power hitters in, in industry they can become the game changers of life they can become mm -hmm. anything they want because they've learned to create that stuff out of nothing you know they wanted mm -hmm. to get high but had no money no means no ne no things necessary to get it at the end of the day they got it yeah <laughs> now imagine doing that for positive <laughs> attributes and positive things i mean they, they wouldn't right. be able to stop them right so it's like yeah this it's so to me, that reminds me of like, you know, the, the instant gratification that comes with, with using and, and drinking and, you know, that, that, that carries this long-term detriment. Right. Mm -hmm. And then now you've got the, the, the long-term benefit, but it takes longer. Like you have to, it's, it's a, it's a grind and it's day after day after day, building upon, building upon getting stronger and stronger and stronger. That takes some getting used to of like, you know, I want to, I want to be, you know, I want to be uh, better today. And it's like, well, it's going to take some work and it's going to take time. It's not that instant gratification of like, I don't understand. I, you know, I, I, I haven't drank or used in a year. So why aren't I better without the work? You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it's, yeah. um, and, and with, with recovery, I think there's, there's still, you know, there's still detriment. There's still things that are uncomfortable, but it's short-term stuff right. for long-term benefits. So it's like the exact opposite of, 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 short-term benefits 
you know, of, of using and drinking with long-term detriment, you know, versus the, the short-term uncomfortability that comes with uh, being in recovery sometimes for a, a long-term benefit. I mean, yeah, so. I like it. Well, yeah. you know, so that brings up a little bit of a question for me and maybe, you know, mm-hmm. something that you've experienced too is, you know, you being able to, to not like resent, you know, um, the training, not resent your body, not resent, you know, whatever it was that created this. I think resentments get, get in the way of so many things. I mean, there's so many reasons. As you were going through this in, in August and that mm-hmm. turmoil, we were going through this you know, turmoil with, with jobs and with people that, that kind of came out of the woodwork and, and pointed fingers that were unjust. And we were just like, you know, we're being wronged. And, and it was funny because at the time we didn't see the bigger picture of it. And although the way that they, they kind of unfolded the situation with the people that we were in business with, um, finding out that, you know, there was a lot of lying on their part, mm-hmm. it was easier to move on when we started realizing that, you know what, doesn't matter how we got here, we're here. And I could resent that and I could, you know, be so upset and angry with it. And try to be validated by by you know raising a posse and, and marching, or I can say I guess this door's open. How mm-hmm. do you how do you now kind of like let those resentments come in and then go out? Like what do you what do you feel is like a, a big contributor for you to like move on from those things? Well, I think a lot of times that comes in hindsight, looking back on it and being like, I see how things happened the way they were supposed to and for a yeah. reason and the benefits of what came out of this injury. I mean, as, as bad as it was, it did some things for me. It, a, it got me into mental therapy that I needed. B, I spent a lot more time with my family than I was because I was constantly gone out for training runs or what have you. And then <clears throat> it's just given me a chance to slow down, you know, and, and mm. regroup and um, again, develop my, my, my recovery practice more. So, um, but for those resentments, you know, there's always that, that phrase of the, you know, the uh, expectations or premeditated resentments. And you know, yeah. I, can, I can believe that when I, when I'm expecting something to go the way it should go or how mm-hmm. I feel like things should happen um, and not being accepting of how it is. I love but I think, you know, as far as the emotions coming into, I, I learn nowadays that I, that I don't have to engage with it. You know, it can come in and I can sit with it and it will go back out. <laughs> and I, I love that. To, I don't have to play around with it. Um, I love that. I love that because we do the same thing. I've had to do that. I've had to turn the anger into, into like this, this, like, I guess, concept of humor, like, mm-hmm. oh man, like how weird and how funny and how strange and then almost kind of turn that into sympathy for the other side of that, of like, it's probably really hard for them to have to do what they did with the way they did it. And so yeah. I'm going to turn that into sympathy and not carry it around because all it's going to do is just cause me this dark mass to just keep growing and growing. Right. And, and I mean, like you said, it was, it was crazy. I mean, August was a crazy month for both of us last year, but it was <laughs> cool because the things I've learned about like, you know, being, being strong with integrity and being focused mm-hmm. on, on, on the outcome, you know, rather than, than what, you know, I, I don't know, brother, I, I'm with you on, on that too, <clears> those <throat> kind so, of learning things. Yeah. So I, some of my viewpoints on that is with, you know, dealing with people and personal issues is that, you know, if someone is <clears throat> just outright nasty <clears throat> and, and, um, I've, I look at it this way is that they're, they're filled with so much pain and suffering that it's, that it's like a cup and it's flowing out of them and it's overflowing out to those around them. So mm-hmm. rather than, you know, that they need to get smacked down, they actually, they probably need some healing themselves, you know? So, Oh man. Eloquent. They're, they're, yeah. So it becomes as you it's more. And so rather than resentment, it's, it's mercy. And like, you know, I, I feel empathetic for this person and that's mm-hmm. hard to do. When, when I, when I take the actions and the actor, so if I'm not able to separate that stuff and say, Hey, I can forgive the actor. I don't condone the actions. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can say that this person is, is, you know, this is, they're suffering, you know, mm-hmm. if, if they're being mean and nasty and dishonest and so on and so forth and, and, and manipulating or, or whatever's going on, it's, uh, you know, they're, they're really suffering inside. Absolutely. Um, so, I, you know, I, I love that. I, I love that because that's exactly the mindset that we had to adopt. And mm-hmm. with, without it, I think that there would still be like angst and frustration. And like I said, we can look at it now and, and actually kind of chuckle and be like, 
wow, because the doors that have opened since then have been like nothing more than, than a miracle. And so I think sometimes when we get caught up in the, what we could have had, what we should have done, or what we could have said, we live too far back in the past, which kind of, I think, frustrates mm. our future. And I think that that's, there's no time for that, right? Right. We're gone. We're past that. Right. And if I'm able to stay in the present, man, wow, whew, I'm doing great. You know, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. we get, we get moments of that every now and then throughout the day. Right. Right. Absolutely. Right. So yeah. yeah, it's like, I can't really, I can't suffer from the past and the future. What I'm suffering from are memories and fantasies, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm able to stay in, in the moment, which as you say, I can do that every now and again. And that's part of the reason why, you know, getting out into the mountains and, and running down that single track is so special to me, you know, mm-hmm. or, and it, Prior to all that, it was another hobby of like getting on a motorcycle and, and riding through the canyons. You know, all this stuff that puts you in, puts me in the moment is like stuff that I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I'm um, attracted to. And That's it's, it's because thing. of that. It's I because love it. of that, that, that present time awareness and that mindfulness and, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's truly where it's at because I can get mired in the past or I can get fearful of the future. But when I'm able to take a couple deep breaths and say, right here, right now, how am I doing? And it turns yeah. out that I'm doing awesome. Take a snapshot right here, right now. I love that. Well, Chris, what do you tell that person? And I like to kind of wrap things up with a little bit of this because it's, it's interesting to get everyone's mindset and, and kind of their own personal touch to this. What do you tell the person right now that, that's hearing this for the first time thinking, yeah, but not for me. I'm, I'm a special case. My addiction's worse. My trauma's worse. You know, I'm just destined to be an addict. What do you tell that person uh, that needs to kind of maybe wake up? What's, what's your, what's your advice? Well, I would say that we, um, we have a lot more in common than we have different, that nobody Mm -hmm. is unique in this Mm -hmm. and that it may seem hard to believe at this moment, but if you don't believe, let me allow me to believe for you that they're stronger than they think they are. And no matter how they go about doing it, you know, it's, it's important to, to stop the behavior, stop using, stop drinking. If that requires a hospital visit, a detox, whatever it may be, you know, in the beginning, my experience was that, you know, that folks wanted to say, Hey, you need to do this, this, and this. But I am looking back as like, no matter how I did, it was the right way to do it. Just put some distance between myself and that last drink. And then from there, find a program to work <clears throat> and um, do the, yeah. And, and do the deal. Cause I'm I like, I, I mean, looking back, it's like, I can't believe I am where I am today. I didn't think I could get here from where I was and here mm-hmm. I am. And it just continues to get better. And it's hard to believe that when you know when you're when you're when you're really in the trenches of addiction that it's possible. But I'm, I'm I can tell you from experience, it is possible, and you're stronger than you ever think you are. So I, I love that. I love that because that's that is the absolute key. Is you know, we we pretend that we're weak and we're not. We're we're really not that weak. No, I mean it's the coolest thing. Yeah, tons of willpower there. I mean, you you touched on it before. I mean, look how much willpower it takes to get through a day when you're when you're strung out and you're hurting, man. Like there's this not addicts do not lack willpower. <laughs> not at all. Sure. <laughs> if anything, we have too much. It's just you know we need to channel in another direction. <clears throat> Absolutely, man. No, that's great advice. And and listeners, this is the beautiful part about uh, what Chris is talking about today. It's about being more, I, I, I guess, more kind to yourself and and to kind of allow allow yourself to go through the, the morning of, of like, you know, losing that part of you, that addiction, because it's like a death. And, you know, it's, you gotta, when you let it go, it's, it's like leaving an old friend that's been through you, it's thick and thin with you. It just kept you sick. And so it's a, uh, it's a little, sometimes easier said than done, but it can be done because like you said, we're stronger than we think we are. And then all it takes mm-hmm. is for us to line up and go when that gun goes off and to, to start the, start the race. Um, you know, Chris, how do people get in touch with some of the stuff you're into? I mean, what's the website of, of, uh, of the Recovery Dharma? Yeah. And what's, what's that contact information? Because I'm sure you sparked some interest today on some folks that want to get to know more about what that, that recovery path is. Yeah, sure. The, so our website is www.recoverydharma.org. <clears throat> and uh, while you're on there, you'll see a uh, 
you know, there's lots of resources, meditation resources and uh, meeting resources, face-to-face -face meetings. And with uh, being in the pandemic times we are, many have moved to online platforms. So mm -hmm. I believe right now there's, there's well over a hundred online meetings. Um, so you can Amazing. find one just about any time of the day. And uh, yeah, so that's great. There's, there's, there's no requirements either other than to believe in your own potential to, uh, to heal. So I love all it. are yeah. welcome. That's great. You know what? We'll link some, we'll link these to to the podcast uh, this coming Monday. We'll get this thing out and we'll get your contact on there because I think it's a great resource. And listeners, you've been well fed again today. Take this on your runs. Share this with people that might have a little bit of of, of problem uh, with traditional methods and ways, and show them that there's always a, a, a number of pathways to to recovery and sobriety. All it takes is for your willingness to. Uh, you know, to type it into a website or to, to ask a couple questions and you're, you're there. So on behalf of Radio Ronan, I want to thank Jimmy Chunga and uh, Joshua and Spencer and Chandler for the Radio Ronan platform that Addict to Athlete gets to be a part of. We thank you for the um, output. Uh, they go listen to their podcast on the Radio Ronan Network. They're awesome. A lot of comedy, a lot of fun music throughout the weekend. So you can take that while you're running too. Chunga and Chandler always do great music podcasts. You can take and run, run the tempo see if they can get your heart rate up. But nonetheless, uh, I want to thank Chris for, for being our guest today. Appreciate you being here from Tomorrowland, buddy. And, uh, and uh, as always, athletes, uh, go turn that mess of addiction into the message of strife.